This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. You know what happened? It was that we stopped talking and then people went down and that, that was the I problem. I needed the motivation of you slagging me every week to get good results and just imploded without that. Subscribe to the OTV Koi gig pod on the OTV Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, Wednesday Night Rugby with Mr. Keith Wood. Hello, you're very welcome. Good to talk to you. Good evening. How are you? Yeah, very well. So you're living the high life this week. Just uh, golfing for two days in a dare. Whatever. You know, no biggie. It's just how Keith Wood's life is. Yeah, well, it was my life this week. Yeah, it was pretty extraordinary, I have to say. Pretty amazing stuff. Tough, mind you. Who were you with? Um, I was with... Uh, my my team was Michael O'Flynn and Charlie McCreevy and um, Justin Rose on the first day and uh, Thomas Bjorn on the second day. And it was amazing, actually. Extraordinary, extraordinary um, scenes, you know, with 40,000 fans. Uh, Michael O'Flynn got a hole-in-one on the 11th, which was it was just incredible. And Charlie McCreevy, I've never seen a guy put like that in my life. He had 10 single putts yesterday, um, which was extraordinary. He couldn't seem to miss. It was like a wand. Mm. One of my abiding memories of Charlie McCreevy is after Kildare won a big match back in the 90s and he told the nation in RTE it was better than sex. Yes, crack, cracking line. We didn't use that line yesterday. Right, and okay, good. We had, we, had, we had an awful lot of fun with it and it was kind of like... Um, Family affairs. I, my 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 uh, my wife was was followed around with us. My eldest son was uh, caddying for me. Um, Michael's son was caddying for him. Uh, Charlie's family were around with him, and we just we had a whole. I mean, Justin Rose is a pure class act, and uh, he was incredible. And I know Thomas Bjorn for about twenty years, and Thomas was just having a laugh the whole way around. It was. I mean, it was tough and. Um, it's like it's interesting playing under that level of, of pressure with with the amount of people that are there. So I have to admit, and we'll have to admit to having the chips yips. I couldn't get uh, couldn't get my chipping right, but I could get it off the tee all right. But I was struggling. So it's a modified format, which made it an awful lot easier. So um, different people came to the table with different things, which was cool. But uh, look, it was extraordinary. I don't know how much it raised, but it, it was it was an amazing occasion to be part of. Well, those greens are not greens to have chipping woes on. No, it's it's funny because it's set up. Um, uh, you have to attack, so you're guaranteed a par. That's the way the 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 format is. So you're attacking for the pin. So you lose all sense of kind of uh, flow in a golf game because. You're like normally you'd say, well, I hit it into the middle of the green, two putts to par, and I'm happy, but um, I don't have an awful lot of shots. So if um, there's not too many of those I could do, and there were nasty pin placements, and the second you go off, it's you're down in a swale about 20 feet below the hole, and little deft chips up and down, they weren't happening for me anyway. I can tell you that. So that part of my game uh, crumbled under pressure. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you won't take it personally, I'm sure, but I had a few hours down there and I, I just went, uh, I, I was um, not too concerned with seeing the celebrities play or most of the golfers play. I went straight for Tiger and I stayed with Tiger and he is, you know, the son that everybody's orbiting. And I'm sure the Smurfit family, who I don't know at all, but I'm sure they won't want me saying, uh, some of them at times, I would say, struggled with the pressure of this bonanza, this circus around Woods. And then even if there wasn't the, the circus, which there basically was at all times, it was also quite difficult for them to hit a shot with Tiger Woods watching three feet away. Uh, so you could see uh, the amateur struggle 
in that uh, pressure cooker, which is thousands of people lining the fairways. Oh, look, sure, it was crazy. I did the draw, actually, on the Saturday night. So I pulled out um, um, that number and, or, well, Sharon pulled it out, uh, of, you know, to, to play with Tiger. And she she didn't know that that number equated to Tiger's name. And when we explained it to her, she nearly fell apart. So um, the idea that uh, that you're going to have everybody mm. down there watching you, um, it's very daunting. Like, it's very daunting. And, like, I, I find it quite interesting. It was incredibly well set up and it was very safely set up. But you still are hitting the ball down a tunnel of... of um, um, of supporters and that's fine actually for virtually every one of the games but for Tigers one there might have been 15,000 down that tunnel oh. I mean it was there's a lot of places for the ball to land um, outside the ropes that you didn't want it to with people out there so yeah I was I look it was um, they loved it they loved the opportunity to play with it but it it's a huge pressure it's quite yeah. it's quite interesting and when he hits everyone starts moving chattering bustle so you know there's a there's a real sense that you just hurry up and hit your shot anyway these are first world problems i'm sure they yeah. can uh, get on with their lives and be okay but an amazing um bonanza the whole thing it was just it, it was, ex- the scale of it's extraordinary it's uh, truly extraordinary and the, and the crack the crackdown that was amazing you know the amount of of golfing fans sporting fans um and and you know that poured through the gate uh were chatting that there was the most lovely atmosphere down there it was just an it was just an awful lot of fun you're like you're, you're kind of taking your time so you can take it all in and like every three or four um holes you kind of stop and say whoa look where we are look mm-hmm. at this look at this place and look at all the people that are you know because it's such a cracking course and at different points it opens up um and you can see a huge amount of the course and it was like swarms of people but it was amazing mm. we talk rugby Yes. Overall impression from Saturday to kick things off? Uh, overall impression was we started incredibly well. Um, I thought we looked we looked sharp. We looked focused. We uh, we looked very capable. New Zealand looked shell shocked, which was really interesting. And I said, "Well, this could this could go somewhere." This was something that was very interesting. And then on on a couple of uh, silly errors. Um, um, things not exactly getting the bounce of the ball, it just changed. And it was funny because you want to try and pick a New Zealand. Now, they're never vulnerable in Eden Park, but you want to try and pick them so that they doubt themselves a little. And one of the things that Ireland has done over the last few years is put and sow a seed of doubt in the New Zealand mind that they can lose these games, that they've, you know, that this is something up until 2016 had never happened. They never had that doubt. So now having lost a few times, that doubt is, you know, you want to play on that as much as you can. Uh, what happened in that 11 minute spell removed all that doubt. And so that was really interesting. So they got their, their tails up and they went after everything. They're incredibly clinical. So when they, when they had chances to take, they took them. Um, if an opportunity arose, they seem to convert it. And so for that, I think it was pretty amazing. I mean, I'd have been pretty grumpy with um, with the amount of guys slipping because it was it's a bit slippy there, but the guys weren't wearing the right studs because they kept falling over. So that's something that would just annoy me in a practical sense. But after that, I thought we came back in the second half. I thought we played uh, pretty well, um, but pretty well under a huge amount of pressure when New Zealand weren't under pressure. And um, like we're... We look tired then because you want an awful lot of things to go right and you want an awful lot of things to to stick 
and they weren't sticking. So we were a little bit overrunning the ball. Our handling wasn't quite to hands, it was to shoulder. Um, we were just a little bit out of kilter then and and we started looking jaded, you know, and it's been a long season, but we were looking jaded, jaded, jaded. Some of the players haven't played a huge amount of rugby um, and they looked flat. So they, they not flat, but they were tired as well. Like Ty Byrne, who is like uh, a Duracell bunny normally, um, he's been out injured for a long time. So it was taking him a long time to get up to the speed of the game. So um, I think he'll be the better for it at the weekend. But And there is always hope, I think, when you come on the back of it, because... Dunedin is an unusual place to go and play. It's a it's a quite a student town. It's a very different mindset down there. Actually, slightly anti-establishment. There's you could get um, the whole crowd shouting for you down there. It's one of those places that seems to be out of kilter with the rest of New Zealand and uh, the manner in which um, they blindly support the, their team. So um, I still hold out a level of hope for this game because that's always an unusual factor. Mm. Is 42-19 a fair reflection on the game for you? Um, I, do you know what? I think it, I think it was. And um, we, 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 could have, we could have scored more. We, we were held up over the line. Um, and look, the, the adjustment that's happened to, to the laws on grounding the ball over the line means you need to have that extra little bit of patience. Now, it's very hard to say that in the heat of battle and very hard to say that when you've got, you know, eight forwards trying to crunch you as you're going over the line. Um, but the patience and accuracy at that stage just has to be paramount. And I'm not saying that we lost our patience, but the ball got like knocked out. Those things, if those things stick, it becomes an awful lot closer. But I, I actually thought New Zealand coasted a little bit in the second half. They took an awful lot of what Ireland had and just dealt with it rather than going out of their way to, to attack more. And, Look, bearing in mind they hadn't played any games together, you're often trying to catch them in the first in that first match. And I was very interested in the fact they played at Dunedin Park. That's a mark of respect, actually, because it's normally in Dunedin, the first game, and that's normally where they're very shaky. But I don't think they wanted to have anything shaky this time, and I thought that's why they went to the fortress that is Eden Park. But um, I, th- I think the result was... Uh, yeah, it was... Look, it's still it's still a bit awkward. We still need guys to to stand up a bit more. Um, we still need to have a discussion around ten, um, and we still need to see what our depth chart is like. Um, I think we're suffering a little because of COVID. I thought we were suffering a little because of some of the injuries. Um, it's a hard place when you don't have a fully um, fully stocked bench to back you up and. Um, Every time we talk about depth charts, and we do this all the time, we do it at the start of the Six Nations or every year, um, um, Joe Gilroy and I will end up doing one of those sort of lists, who's in the depth chart in the front row, second row, back row, wherever we are. Um, we often have decent numbers, but if we get a couple of injuries there, we're very light very quickly. We don't have 10 guys in each position. We may have three guys, four guys that are, that are you know, some that are really good international, some that are really good guys in the pinch and some guys that are on the extremes of that. We get a couple of injuries and when we seem to suffer. So like we'll see whether New Zealand can suffer or will suffer with it because they've got some um, some injuries this week as well into the second row. So that will make a difference to them uh, whether their depth chart is quite up to it or not. Mm. I mean, we are massively exposed in the forwards now, are we not? And, and 
Bernard Jackman was writing about this the weekend, almost like uh, institutionally, the RFU have taken their eye off the ball when it comes to producing uh, props. And he was saying, well, Greg Feek for a time was in there and working on a national development plan. And uh, subsequently, to what extent he has been replaced is a question mark. And this is the culmination of really not prioritising this area because uh, without Porter and without Furlong, and so much as any testing, well, we go off a cliff. And and like when either of those two go down injured at the moment, everybody is holding their breath because it's almost akin to the game. Well, it is because some of the heavy scrummaging teams can can pretty much dictate the game from one part of the field to the next if your scrum isn't working. And our scrum has been under pressure even with those players on mm. it. And so <clears throat> so it is. It's it's one of those tough elements. Um, like I, I know we've discussed this before, but Wales in the 80s and 90s had a club called the 66 Club, which was kids who um, they thought were going to be over six foot six so that they'd play in the second row. So um, because that's one of the things you can't coach, you know, you're either six foot six or you're not. So um, they, they wanted to target as many of those players as possible. I've never understood why we haven't had that type of an idea, that sort of scrum academy that we can start building up a lot of guys who'd like to be able to play there because it's a it's a unique um, skill set. You need to be uh, fairly squat and, and you know and big. So if you've got young kids that are going to go down that route, why not give them an opportunity to learn the, the their stock and trade very very early and do it at a, a heightened level? Um, look, I still think we have. It's not a criticism of our of our system i think our school system because we we laud it all the time but it generates in dublin in particular huge amounts of of talented um fit you know guys from that that go to private schools it's fantastic the amount of players that go in there but we do need a blend of players from everywhere because we're looking for one farmer types and we want um, guys that have, have you know from the country we want as many if different types of people as possible you know so um like we're looking for some pretty big hefty guys if we can get them at different stages and you know it's one of the big things i have about 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 monster but i I have it about ireland too we can probably get more out of the system um and we rely on school system pretty much too much i think um and it's what other things can we do but that's like that's a much longer conversation and not something that helps us for the weekend. But I mean, I'm nervous at times in the second row, I have to say, and uh, um, are in the second row and front row that our guys aren't actually big enough, um, that we don't have enough of guys that are in there. So a couple of injuries mean we get very lean and a five match tour on a short period like this taxes every single element. Mm. Training sessions are not going to be long or hard, but they're going to be, you know, focused to perform at the highest level. That pressure is, is a big thing. Um, if you're losing on a losing battle in the scrum, it makes it very, very difficult. Mm. Uh, the breakdown has been much discussed by numerous observers as one of the key reasons Ireland lost that game. So Andy Farrell was speaking afterwards. He was pretty strong in this point And he was saying, we need some answers of what happened at the breakdown. We need some answers. He said there's a depth to a rook and there's an entry to a rook that we need confirming. Let's say it that way. Once it's confirmed, we'll get our act in order. So between the lines there, he doesn't feel it was refereed very well. There is no job, and, and you suspect with some Joe Schmidt fingerprints included, uh, there is no doubt uh, that the New Zealand team did a number on Ireland at the breakdown, legally and illegally, and like, you know, such is life. I mean, they, 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 they're within their rights to be illegal if you take the point. 
Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> um, yeah, look, everybody's going to push it in terms of that element. And um, there are different interpretations. I would agree, actually, that some of the, I, I thought there was a lot of side entry. And um, that makes it very hard, very awkward. I thought there was a lot of um, lazy um, walking, you know, almost through the rock, but not really through the rock and kind of putting your hands up and say, who me ref and walking back out the other side, slowing things down. Um, but you have to deal with that and you have to deal with that properly. Um, if, if I was to be critical um, and on one part for last weekend was, I thought it was a constant load of noise at the ref. Um, so everybody was like throwing their hands up in the air. They're all saying the penalty uh, offside in the, you know, that needs to be tidied up in terms of the conversation. It puts the referees off, you know, it's just, they don't like it. They don't like this constant haranguing and, um, uh, like there's a lot of kind of complaining and, and you're complaining because guys are coming in off offside or you think they're offside and the referee may give you a penalty for that. But actually when all that noise is there for nearly 80 minutes, I think the times then when the captain goes up to have a conversation with the referee, it's just more of the noise and you kind of want less noise so that when the captain does talk to the ref, the ref is willing to listen, he's willing to look at it. He's willing to tidy it up because it seemed to be consistent through the game that we didn't actually get that clarity during the game and we weren't getting the ball as cleanly as we would have liked. Mm. You mentioned Sexton then. So if there's this holy trinity, it's Porter and it's Furlong and then it's very much Sexton and we got a glimpse again of a big game without Sexton. What's the big difference for you? Because I'm sure people are listening at uh, various conversations where the point is being made and very much accepted that Ireland are just a different team without Sexton. So for instance, on Saturday, when Sexton goes off, what things are not happening once Sexton is off that were happening? Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, point as well. I actually thought Carberry played pretty well. And um, it's not the same as <clears throat> as with with Johnny. I think Johnny gives a huge sense of comfort to everybody around him. He is, his mind is streets ahead. He's seen, it's as if he's read the last page of the book. Right. So he's he's looking at everything. He's he's kind of seeing how everything is happening around him and he's he's pulling the strings accordingly. So he's he's making decisions because of a vast experience, but also on um, an instinctive knowledge of having seen a lot of this before. So he lo- he looks at things. He, he he seems to have time to do lots of different things. Um, having said that, I still think at times he's too deep and isn't considered a threat. And at times he has been shut out of games. And, um, but he is able to, he's still able to make huge amounts of spots and things like that. But the idea of it going that we can only play with Johnny at 10, I mean, I look, this is, we've been doing this for years talking about, you know, about this, that it gets to a point of where, you know, like something has to change because, it's entirely reliant on him and him alone. And that's a, that's a, that's a vulnerability for the whole team. And, um, and it's, you know, there's been a lot of players that have been used and, and uh, whatever. And, but even when you looked at, at Kieran Frawley um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he plays a game, he, does, he makes a couple of mistakes. Um, he has to make the mistakes. You, like, he has to, you have to learn from all these sort of things. I still think he is the guy who will be in the 10 jersey going forward. So, you know, that's just the, the feel I have. He just needs to play an off at a rugby at 10. He's not playing any rugby at 10. So, 
Um, Liam, I, Tolan, I, I, Liam Tolan said as much on Sunday in conversation here, actually, he said, my instinct based on the very limited evidence is that Frawley's the one and it's and, and it's not Carberry. Um, if Frawley is the one, he played zero minutes at 10 effectively last season. He's played however many for Ireland just now. Uh, he's in line to play zero minutes again at 10 next season at Leinster. So if Frawley is the one, then one, Irish rugby is going to have to make its mind up about that very quickly. And two, they're going to have to take some kind of action because it's not really tenable for Frawley to pay, play no rugby at uh, 10 all next season and then, yeah, you know, parachute in potentially to World Cup at 10. I mean, so we're going to have to figure this out very quickly. Yeah, I th- look, I think that it's all kind of uncomfortable actually uh, watching it because, and so when we looked at uh, Johnny getting the bang and then hearing he'd f- failed his HIA and we all then uh, presume that he's not going to play and there was a huge amount of uncertainty, well, for us because we don't know it because the laws changed or the rules changed in terms of, excuse me, in terms of of those new HIA protocols that had come in a couple of weeks ago to go out to 12 days. So we presumed he wouldn't play for 12 days, but we, like we don't know all the ins and outs of it. So, but I was thinking, well, there you go. It's a great opportunity. I still think it's a great opportunity. I'd still, you know, still think you try and bring other players on to play. So for me, we were looking at maybe having Frawley playing a 10 or Carberry playing a 10 and Frawley on the bench or, um, and then Harry Byrne uh, getting a chance to play next week against the Maoris. And that, you know, that means you're getting a lot of use for the players and you're beginning to see them under a high level of pressure. And I'm not saying you're, we're not going to throw the game. That's not what it is. You have yeah. to try and win those games with those players in that position. And Keith, that still you, has to be the mindset. Absolutely. Do you mind me asking then? So you, you, you felt Carberry actually did pretty well in fairness when he came on. And yet you're seeing something to suggest that Frawley is the one ultimately who could be ahead come next World Cup. So is that more to do with still some shortcomings in Carberry or what have you seen in Frawley or presumably a mixture of the two? So so Carberry did well, but there is a but. Yeah, look, Carberry did well, but so look, we've and again, we've gone over this ad nauseum, but I I think I think a lot of players, a lot of Munster players have um, have suffered in the last year, I think partly because the style that Munster were playing. Um, that it wasn't free and like Joey looks to me I don't know him at all but he looks to me like a really free player he just um, yes there's going to be a structure and yes he's got all the skills to do it but if it's going to be entirely structure based where you're kicking it constantly or it's it's tied up I don't know that that's necessarily enjoyable so actually I do want to see him play more on this trip and I want to see him do more on this trip Um but we know that he's had frailties with injury. We know that his form hasn't been on fire. Um, we have to we have to see options. Right? So we just a call comes out that Johnny gets injured, and we're then saying, well, who's next up? And with the, with the guys that are down there, there's players that have been um, have been used and, and overlooked and haven't been brought again. So you've Burns, you've got Carty. I know he's injured at the moment. Uh, you have the possibility of Ben Healy and Crowley, but they're in the same place that they haven't played a huge amount of uh, rugby, but they're playing a bit. Um, but you have to decide that we have players that are, are are getting proper exposure to play and you want to see what's going to happen down the line. And you'd like it for some of them to be robust because so much depends on them. And you're looking to try and get as much game time in these guys as possible. Otherwise, you're... You're like you're 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 thinking of what's going to happen in the future, but you're doing it without having any exposure in the present. 
well, like, like these are conversations we were having two or three years ago and we would have hoped that we would have had a successor to Johnny and that Johnny could be there and we'd have somebody, you know, he could, he could play or not play and it wasn't the end of the world, you know, so we're just not there yet. No. So the and- players haven't quite... Uh, got up to up to speed. They haven't got up to standard. I think Johnny is is still the best ten. Yeah, um, and we need to be able to play matches to win matches now. But we also need to prepare for the future. And I don't, just don't know that we're quite getting there with that at the moment. So the tricky thing in there is if if you think potentially it's Frawley, well then he has to start because we've often said about Joey Carberry he hasn't had enough minutes he hasn't had enough minutes but by comparison to Frawley Joey Carberry's had a lot of minutes I mean he started against France recently started against Italy in the Six Nations and numerous games in the past like he is 27 years of age so I mean if if we think geez Carberry doesn't have enough minutes under his belt to go into World Cup then Frawley certainly doesn't and there aren't many opportunities left so I mean that's a big sea change if, if they think it's Frawley they just need to give every, give him every minute they can now, and then you're casting Carberry aside. Like none none of these seem overly satisfactory. But it, like, are you at a point where you'd say, I I actually I'm I'm so convinced is a strong word, but take you know take the point. I'm so convinced it is going to be Frawley. If that's the argument, then you have to put Frawley in for these two games because he needs yeah, every got, minute he can get. I can't be that convinced because I haven't seen him play enough. Yeah, nobody has. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and that's it. Um, so actually, if you were asking me, I would I wouldn't I would start Carberry um, uh, on on Saturday, and I would say right now you get your chance to to lead it up in your uh, the country of your of your birth, and you can go and, and play there and go very well, and you play eighty. You don't have to play, um, you don't have to take him off if he's on and he's doing very well, and you can make that as a decision, and you can you have to make those calls as they come. Um, but you could make a decision to take him off with 30 minutes to go and put Frawley on. Yeah. And we have to accept that fact, that we have to f- accept the fact that it's it's an experiment. Now, it seems like a crazy place to be doing an experiment, but like we have to make we have to make those changes at some stage because yeah. um, it can't be that case. We can't have a game built around Johnny and if Johnny goes off after 20 minutes that it's that there's no no backup after it and it's we've had a bit of that but I look I still want to see Joey play more yeah. and play with a smile on his face because I think he's got an awful lot of the skills I know most people think he's he's a very good 15 and I think he is a very good 15 mm. um, and yes you could pick him at 15 but we, we have a shortage of 10s, so we need to try and get a 10, you know, and it's a big issue for us. Where does taking a good beating come into Farrell's thinking? Like, so you say this is a bit of an experiment, and yet you would look at the game last weekend and say that it was pretty obvious the result was not in doubt early on, certainly by half time or early in the second half, and yet he left on those front row players, for instance. And I'm sure he would have been thinking, God, I'm going to need them in, in weekend too, but maybe another part of him is also thinking, I don't want them to put 60 on us here because that's psychologically damaging. So, for instance, say he goes experiments at 10 and it's Carberry and it's Frawley and things really don't go well and Ireland take a bit of a hiding. Uh, does that leave a mark? Does that leave... Is, is, that, is that something that is important to avoid with the World Cup in mind? Or can a team take a beating like that, understand it was for experimental reasons and put it, in, you know, put it to one side? Yeah, I just, I wouldn't even rise to that. I wouldn't consider ever going out onto a field with the idea of taking a beating. And I think you have to, you have to make those changes at some stage. And 
the players have to stand up to it. And um, look, I would say we could have scored an, another couple of tries the other day. And I think if we had a, a different interpretation at the at the rook time, it could have been far closer. I actually think New Zealand would have beaten us anyway. So yeah. that doesn't, you know, that doesn't hold too much. Like it, this is not a freebie. We often use that conversation. This is a proper test in in Dunedin. It's a it's a it's a great place to play. Like a really really great my, like my favorite place to play in New Zealand. And um, there's something exciting about going down there. What's wrong with saying you're going to go down there with with two tens that aren't Johnny Sexton and still have an expectation that if you perform properly, you have a chance of winning? I don't think there's a fear thing or there should be a fear thing that you get a beating. If the beating happens, the beating happens. We just have to deal. We just have to deal with that. You know, I don't know that that knocks us back anywhere. Right. Like, like this is, we want to have a really good account for ourselves. I think when we talked at the very start of this, Joe, I, my hope was that Ireland would win one test because that would be extraordinary. Mm. Right. So if, so that's five matches. So everybody else was talking about a series or people were talking about a series win. I, I wasn't, I wasn't. I don't mind losing the Maori matches. And I know that sounds kind of wrong, but there's lots of players who haven't played some really, really high intense rugby. That's an incredible opportunity for them. This is something that will build our Irish team out um, as much more. We blood it as much as we possibly can and to see what actually happens. I mean, if you go back to England in 98, they went, went on a truly humiliating tour um, to Australia and then um, won the World Cup five years later, and with an awful lot of the players that were blooded on that uh, on that tour in '98. So, look, there's always a plus because you get a chance to play at a higher level. So, but I wouldn't be comparing or, or, or presuming that you'd get a beating in this one. I would be presuming that it would be good enough for us to go. And this is the one for me. I I had targeted from the start, right. and I, I that I think it's the game that Ireland can win. Mm. Um, but, um, and yes, that would be a great thing to have on the CV, um, to have a win in New Zealand. And I actually think it would be unbelievable for the team, for uh, the psychology that's required to go and do it, because it means that away from home, away from the Aviva, and we did win in, in America, but being away in a competition, we can have the capacity to win a, a big match you know, a year and a bit out from a World Cup. I think that could be of great value. Um, but I, I think the flip of it is if we don't, I don't think it's of a huge amount of negative provided that we've got enough of players. Okay. And that's the point. So that's, yeah. you know, that's for, for me, I think we're kind of getting to some of it, but like, I don't like the wailing and gnashing of teeth of the things as if it's a disaster. It's not a disaster. But I, like we have talked for far too long about Johnny, Johnny Sexton and his successor. I mean, we need the successor to stand up. So for that, I'd say there's probably a high level of frustration um, that we're not getting as many options playing at 10 and the 10s aren't playing as well as you'd like them to play because you you're, you're not entitled to get the jersey. You have to work really hard for it and you have to be playing very, very well for it. Mm. Um, and we don't know who's, who's... Like, if you ask now who is the successor, there's, there's a group of about five or six who aren't at Johnny's level and but and they're all in a group on their own. So that's where we're at. We sure are. One last point. Matt Williams on Monday felt Ireland's uh, defence was uh, pretty woeful, actually, against New Zealand. Did that jump out to you? I, I, I thought we lost a bit of shape. 
Um, they were getting very fast ball and we weren't. We struggle if we don't slow the ball down. <clears throat> Our defensive line struggles. Um, you also have different combinations that hadn't played um, too much with Joey that's back in there. And look, we know that Joey is a very talented player, but he's not a very, you know, he's not a, a great defending 10, you know, uh, not like Johnny Sexton is. So there, that sows a little bit of a seed of doubt in as well. So that part of his game has to up a lot. Um, but I also thought we looked, when you're fatigued, it's just, you know, yeah. under under high levels of pressure, some of the skill sets drop. Yeah. And, um, and when things, like it's amazing, a drop ball or an interception that goes the length of the field, when you're in attack, that can have a huge negative um, impact on you. And, you know, you then know you're going to be there for another two or three weeks and this is going to be hard and you're hoping to get back into the game as quickly as you can so you don't have that feeling for too long. Mm. So, I, I look, I thought we got a bit jaded and we the, and the ball, some of the ball was incredible. I also would say Aaron Smith, um, he's truly, truly wonderful player. He's one of the best players who's ever played the game. Um, his pass consistently hits the hands, the fingers, actually, of the players. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's not hitting the palm of the hand, it's hitting the fingers. It's absolutely perfect. Um, but th that array of passing that he had, skipping out four or five people, actually meant our defensive structure was put under huge pressure and players were exposed far sooner than we would have expected. Right. That pass was long enough to get outside uh, the edge of our forward defence and it put a lot of players running against our back. So uh, I, I think that was a huge factor in the game. He was getting the ball very, very quickly to him. And he was then bypassing the whole defensive forward structure with one pass. So like, okay, if you push that out a little bit uh, more, um, spread them out a little bit more, then the gaps come in close. But um, that's that's one of the issues. And New Zealand are very good at dealing with that. Mm. They're good at a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, they're I mean, very good at a lot of things. I mean, we, there's always the chance they get better as well in week two. You know, they, they kicked off a certain amount of rust. Yeah, look, they absolutely look. They will get better. That's the other thing. Um, look, there was parts of our game I really liked. I liked the fact we went left and right a lot. It reminded me of uh, the way New Zealand played in the first test um, against the Lions a few years ago. Um, where they just went left, then they went right, or they went left, and it kind of punched holes and put uh, the team under pressure at different times. Ireland did that very well. Um, it's about the, the perfection of the passing for us, um, trying to get the, the ball to the hands, absolutely not to the shoulder. Um, it's, it's looking about, um, I don't know, looking for any chinks that they have in there. Um, and trying to tidy up some of our lineouts, so I thought we got some of our calls were wrong. I, I was interested. New Zealand lost a few lineouts as well, but New Zealand, New Zealand are incredibly content to throw the ball to the front of the lineout. They want the ball. That's the thing that's infinitely important. The most important is to win the ball. Second importance is where in the lineout you get it. It's ideal if you get it off the back because you can attack wide much easier. You can really expose a defensive setup. But New Zealand don't seem to care about that. So if Ireland are stacked at the back, they'll throw to the front all day. They'll get uh, the hooker to come around, to pass to nine, to pass it wide. They'll get wide enough anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I thought our calling at different times were in parts of the field where we wanted our line out to be at the back or at the back middle um, so that we could have a good attacking line shape off it. And 
it looked to me like New Zealand knew that and double teamed players in that spot. So then you're looking for a ball to be floated to hit the jump on the jump in between it. That's incredibly difficult. Mm. But the ball is paramount. You know, Ireland need to have the ball. I still think we kicked it away too much. And like there's a lot of kicking. New Zealand kick a lot, but they kick with an awful lot of purpose. I felt we kicked too often. Right. One last area to address is that of concussion and HIA, the the protocol and the test itself very much up for discussion again. I think people are at this stage pretty off with what's happened over the last week. There was the Jeremy Lockman incident where New Zealand rugby conducted an investigation and concluded that he shouldn't have come back onto the field. Uh, they have cited a gap in communications. They say player welfare is their number one priority. Uh, the gap in communications, it seems, is that there was no TV footage of Lockman exhibiting the signs of concussion on the field after he was hit, uh, available to either the Irish medical team or to the HIA doctor. It was only at half time when the Irish medical team first saw a video footage of Lockman exhibiting the signs of concussion on the field, in which case that means there isn't even a HIA. You come off. It seems the HIA doctor and the Irish team didn't see the footage. They conducted the HIA. Lockman passed it. Uh, read into that what you want as well. And he was back on the field until half time when the Irish medical team saw the footage. Then Dave Heffernan, uh, he was stumbling as well. Similar carry to Lockman. He was, uh, there was a consultation on field. He played on for another two and a half minutes where he was uh, scrummaging, cleaning and uh, carried the ball as well and then it seems the Irish medical team saw a video sent it to the HIA doctor who then got him off and then there's Sexton which is uh, similar but different in so many ways he um, did come off he failed HIA 1 he passed HIA 2 a couple of hours later and then after I think it's two nights sleep two sleeps effectively uh, he passed HIA 3 so he is uh, past fit and ready to take the field on Saturday and, and so now there's this odd pressure on Andy Farrell to go a step further than the medical practitioners are requiring him to go. And so that's, a, uh, I think, an unfair decision on a coach to have to make. He wants to win the match. But then, you know, Johnny Sexton is, is, is and his history has been much discussed. So different incidents and different uh, 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 individuals involved. Certainly, we can say unequivocally what happened with the Lockman situation is, is just beyond unacceptable. Oh, absolutely. And and it, for me, watching some of the TV coverage down there, the lack of replays that are shown even on broadcast TV um, of potential incidents, you know, which we'd often see that in, in, in France. And uh, we saw it at the weekend. I think, oh, I'd like to see that again. And I'd like to see what happened over there with them. Um, that needs to be tidied up because that puts the, the, the game and the welfare of the player in um, in a very, very hard place. And it, and like for me, watching um, watching Jeremy get the bang, I thought, I actually thought it was, I, I said he has to go off straight away. I, 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 I That's just what it looked like for me for, for whatever initial view that I had when I, when, I, when I look at it, I thought that was a bit of a sickening go and I thought he was off. And then you saw that it was kind of going and he came back on again. I like I thought we had the footage for that now. And so my my gut instinct immediately was that there was no way he was going back on. He was concussed. So so he's going to be out for 12 days. So like yeah, mis miscommunications and all those sorts of things. We do we really need to get 
entirely on top of that stuff. We need to have all the footage that's there. Um, we need to, to I, look, I think it's a total minefield. I mean, I never, I, I don't like the, the HIA. And I, I look, I, I've had long conversations with uh, Barry O'Driscoll, um, Brian's uncle, you know, discussing different elements of this over the years. And, and he was vehemently against the HIA as a structure. And so if any of those indicators that are shown for for uh, for a concussion or for a bang, um, if any of those indicators are up, like I I still like the idea of being gone for three weeks. That's what that's what it was when when I played. Yeah. So there was no HIA in that in that stage. Now I do think the HIA does bring up elements where you can have a gauge for someone who's got a bad bang, but the like really the it's you think he's concussed. Well, if you think he's concussed, you know. Like I don't know. I actually don't know. It's such it's such a complicated area, but a grey area in terms of yeah, that's a bad bang. Well, if that's a bad bang for me, is that an issue for me? And is it a bad bang for you? And it's a real issue for you. Do you know what I mean? Whether yes. whether I'm more susceptible to it or not. Well, or- the, the fact that the fact that Lockman passed his HIA suggests maybe a certain threshold, but that's just at a glance from a distance without any medical training. But it, it was striking that he passed his HIA, for instance. What about the Sexton issue now, which now falls on the shoulders of a coach in Andy Farrell to make a decision uh, on Sexton? So he is, according to the medical practitioners, uh, fit to play. Well, look, for me, the uncomfortable part of that was the uncertainty around the change in the protocol. You know, the kind of lack of transparency of that. So this is like guaranteed to happen in the first week or second week after these protocols had changed, where you're going to get an incident where we don't know because we don't know the total ins and outs of what they are. And we see it and we say, okay, he's gone. He's he's failed his HIA. That means he's obviously out for 12 days mm. because he's got a history of concussion. Um, but, uh, but it isn't because the protocols go for whatever it is that they've just gone and done. And look, there's a duty of care, but the duty of care is for doctors that are dealing with Johnny all the time, know him, um, and they can make that right call for it. So like, you have to try and deal with it as it is. I don't know that it necessarily goes on um, just on to, to Andy Farrell's in terms of that. So he would take the advice that he should do and to, you know, to, best for his player to look after him like best for the player could be to, for no player to ever play you know so it's it isn't exactly black and white I would just take it in a totally different direction I would take it as an opportunity to say um, we're actually going with two different out halves yeah you see people have made that point and they've said well look it's, it's, it, it furthers the argument to experiment with Carby and Frawley for me I don't like that at all let's treat this as if this is a World Cup and there's a quarter final on Saturday and this has happened to Sexton and we've seen him fail HIA1. Now, in that instance, I would say it's almost certain that Johnny Sexton would play in a World Cup quarterfinal on Saturday if he's past fit. Whereas here, there's a chance that, well, and I think it does fall on Farrell if he's been past fit. I think it falls on Farrell to say, oh, look, I'll, I'll just take him out of the fire line because, you know, he's had history with this stuff and it's a bang and, you know, we'll just go better safe than sorry. And where does that end? Do you take him out of the third test? I don't know. And again, that's not going to apply at a World Cup where coaches really do want to win. So that leaves a very unsatisfactory feeling that this has happened to Sexton. He's failed HIA 1 and then HIA 2 and 3. And now the only person that's going to take him out really is the coach. Johnny Sexton's not going to take a step back. But uh, I think it's the medic, Joe. I don't think it's the coach. Well, well, medically, he's fine then. So the only person who's now going to take him out is the coach. 
Yes, but I, I, I and I don't, I don't think that that's his decision. Actually, um, I, I think if medically you're fit to play and the player wants to play, um, like that's you're making a judgment call because of people dealing with emotion from the other side. Yeah. If there is medical reason for him not to play, he shouldn't play. That's and that's the story. I, I, I suppose then the the question is, and and I should say by the way that for the radio audience, we have uh, spoken to Dr. Barry O'Driscoll at half seven, and we're recording here with Keith. So you haven't heard. Uh, Barry O'Driscoll's opinion on, on this, for instance, nor have I. But like f- for me, I, as a layman, it just brings the HIA, it calls it into question massively, like people are getting dings and then passing and then failing and then passing the next one. And like, you know, we've gone from three weeks out to six days out, which seemed to, you know, was one of the reasons Barry O'Driscoll resigned because he felt, well, this, this is commercial, like you're doing this so players can get back for the game in a week. If there was 10 days in a week, it'd be 10 days. And now suddenly they've extended the six days to 12. So like for a decade, we've had a generation of players who were told, oh, no, it's six days and you're back. Now the next generation will be told, oh, no, it's 12 days. Are we going to have this extended uh, and in, in a decade's time and, and it'll be back to three weeks? I mean, there's just a real nagging sense of experimentation at the moment. And, and, and it leaves people very uncomfortable. Well, of course it does. It leaves everybody uncomfortable. I have to say it leaves me uncomfortable. And it's why I can give an opinion. Mm. But what you're looking for is a considered opinion from medical professionals. So what we are getting is for Johnny, as the example, the medical professionals have said, yes, it fits It fits the bill. It's OK. Yeah. And, um, and you're getting with Barry. And again, I haven't heard. Sure. Barry's view, but I know his views pretty, pretty, pretty well from all the conversations we've had. And he's against he's against that side of it. And so there are decisions that have to be made. And uh, look, there's a huge court case coming up in terms of, of players uh, over the last 20 years that played and who have suffered from from um, uh, early onset dementia, or rugby oriented uh, collision dementia or CTE, which they can't. You, you, but you can't actually uh, diagnose until after you die, which mm. is, that's what makes it all incredibly tough. So it's trying to get that level of information that's up there and out there. I do think it's paramount to to keep the safety right. And I do think this is a, a, an issue that uh, impacts on teams all the time. I, for me, it's a, for me, it just becomes an awful lot more simple just to go back to the three weeks yeah. because it meant... You're, you're going to be protected. That was, you know, and I know it's a business and I know it's entertainment and all that sort of stuff, but we don't want to be dealing with this. We don't want to be seeing players um, suffering the consequences of these of these tackles or these situations. Because as, as a final thought, and you can relate to Farrell in this instance because he doesn't have medical training. He has been told by the medics, Johnny Sexton's fit, pick him. So now he's juggling that information, which in isolation means a straightforward decision, as in I can... I can play Johnny, but there's a general atmosphere given what happened to Lockman and to a lesser extent Heffernan um, and sex. So there's like there's a, a heightened scrutiny on this decision now, which is, is going to have to come into his thinking. What do you think he should do? Um, well, I said what I think he should do, but it's, I have it separated away from the um, uh, from the concussion idea in itself or from the HIA in itself. I would say pick the two other players because that's the right thing for or maybe the right thing for Irish rugby. In my opinion, we need to see players play under pressure. Um, and for it, Johnny, yeah, for but that's, it, that's more because we need to see them play. Say it's a, a 
a World Cup quarterfinal or a bigger game. No, no, I, 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 look, you I, know, I, the, I the principal I do, point. I do take your point. Yeah. I would say if if he's fit to play and he's been deemed fit to play by the by the doctors and by everything that goes in within there, I think that's that's the decision. I wonder whether mm. um, if he decides, well, look, I've decided I'm not going to do it because the sentiment around yeah. is now guiding my decision. Yeah. And even though you're fit to play and um, the doctors say you're fit to play, I'm standing you down because I think it's better for you. I mean, I don't know that that's I don't know that that's the decision to make. Yeah, I know. It's, like, it's, I really it's, don't. It's, and I wonder, like, like, what would Johnny's reaction be to that? Mm. And, and because, you know, the level of frustration he has for every conversation we have about concussion mm. with him anyway. And um, but, you know, like what what could his reaction be in saying, well, you're 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 turning down proper medical advice, um, you know, I, like, I don't know. It's it's uh, like it's it's incredibly difficult. I like I think it's an incredibly difficult area. Mm. I'm I'm I'll be listening now in in a, in a while for Ari because yeah. I want to hear his side of of the argument, and I'd like to see you know those arguments. It's, it would be really good to have those arguments kind of almost done out in public because, um, and that's one of the elements of this. The sentiment is is a piece where um, you need all the facts on the on the on the table. So I don't like the idea of somebody saying, oh, I don't like it. He definitely was concussed there when he wasn't. Mm. Or he, um, or look, there's no way he should play or what's the story? Because uh, like we've all, we've all had those discussions ourselves because we have them because we're, we're kind of guessing ourselves or we're looking at it. What would we do it if it was a, a son or a brother or something like that? You know, you don't, so you don't know, but all the doctors are pretty much, they're like they're all saying he's fine to play, um, but like I just I like that there was a lack of transparency in that change in the protocol. So I think that's another adding to the sentiment. So I think an awful lot of these conversations have to happen in public mm. because people need to understand the rationale behind it. They need to understand how this is, and uh, like a lot of people would say, well, that, that you know all that should be private for the sentiment side of it for the for a game that is in. Um, in difficulty because of the potential court case uh, coming down the tracks uh, and because of the health of the players, we do need to try and understand the sentiment and have it like fully informed. So we want people fully informed for what that is. And that isn't just one side of the argument. It has to be all sides. Mm. Uh, thank you for teasing that one out. Various angles to look at it from. Our rugby on off the ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Keith, Appreciate it. We'll be on next week, I'm sure, reflecting on the uh, second test. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Great stuff. Cheers, Joe. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.